Yes, Lord, you are our God and our King. We rejoice in the opportunity to tell others about you. I do join with my brothers in agreement um, that you would enable us to share the gospel clearly, that you would make us aware of the opportunities as they present themselves. We ask your forgiveness for the times that we have fallen short or, or been too afraid. We pray that you would embolden us, that you would give us the words. We know in your word it says that we must be ready to share, and that when we do, that you will provide uh, the knowledge and the words. We pray, Father, for those today that are here that haven't made the decision to accept you uh, to receive uh, the death of Christ as the atonement for their sin. You would help them to understand the truth of the gospel and give them the courage and strength to receive it. Father, help us to be that light on the hill, to be that salt amongst the people. And again, I also join my brother in in agreement, praying for the Staffords. We're so thankful for their ministry in Columbia, for the counseling they're doing amongst uh, unbelievers, uh, amongst new married couples, for the discipleship that they're doing in their church body. May you bless it and provide for them. Father, may we pull together in unity as a church and in the days ahead. May we look for those opportunities day to day to share the gospel and to do it as a team, as a family of Christ. Father, I pray for the move of the Holy Spirit in our country, in our world. May those who haven't heard the word have people sent to them. May you give them clear Wisdom as to how to present the gospel in a way that's understood within that culture. May you bless those who are seeking to translate the word into languages where it's not currently available. And Father, as we get ready to give back to you through our, through our tithes and offerings, uh, we do so joyfully, knowing that all things belong to you. And we ask that you would use it for the spread of the gospel. We commit this time to you. We thank you for what you did for us on the cross. All of this we give to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Prison. That's the way our brothers and sisters in the first century used to identify themselves under persecution. They had to have ways of identifying, knowing whether or not. We talk about boldness in evangelism. Some of our our, our brothers and sisters around the world in North Korea, Saudi Arabia, parts of Africa, all over the world are very careful about the way that they share their faith. They're also very careful about the way they identify one another. And so that was one of the ways that they did it. And what better way to identify your trust and faith in the one who died for our sins and then was raised by the power of the Spirit of God three days after that, he is risen, he is risen indeed. Uh, next Sunday morning, David mentioned this in the announcements. Just in case one or two of you weren't in here, I wanted to say, we are having a discovery lunch. If you are relatively new to Grace and you want to get to meet some of the people, some of the leaders, the elders uh, of, of our church, some of the home group leaders, 
this would be a good day. We're going to have dinner immediately after church. There's a sign-up sheet outside. I know some have already signed up, but we'd love to have several of you join us, even if you've been coming for two or three months, but you have not <clears throat> made your mind up about whether this is the place or not you want to be. And even if you have and you just want to get to know some people, be there for that. And then the following Sunday, we will begin our uh, Grace Connection class where you can not only learn more about grace, but be on track for membership. It is required for membership. Just because you go doesn't mean you're automatically a member. We're not going to do that to you. <clears throat> but uh, And certainly next week is, is just a sort of a get-together kind of a time. But if you wish to be a member, you need to go through that class. So next two weeks are, are, are important Sundays, but today is the most special day of the year, isn't it? It is for believers everywhere. And, and in fact, people who don't know Jesus recognize that there's something special about this day. In our country anyway, it is the day when church attendance is at its highest in almost all churches. Now, clearly that's not the case today here. But typically in most churches it is. We've got a full house this morning. Just like churches all around the world are full this morning because they recognize something happened on this day in the first century. And, and why wouldn't we be in church? You cannot be a Christian without believing that Jesus physically rose from the dead on Easter Sunday. Why is this day so important for Christians? The short answer is this. Jesus paid for our sins on the cross. And he was buried after saying it is finished or paid in full. It could have been translated. Completed. The work is done. He lay in the ground for three days. And when God rose him from the dead, God raised him from the dead. It indicated the Lord accepted his payment, his sacrifice in place of all who will trust. Not their good works, but in the work of Jesus Christ for salvation. Roman or for salvation, Romans 4 tells us that he, was died for our sin, he died for our sins and he was raised for our justification. Our text today is Luke 24, the whole chapter. Uh, in order to give just a tad bit of context for this book, Luke began his account of, of Jesus' birth and, and, and life and death and resurrection by saying to the man he wrote the book to, Theophilus, a Roman official most likely. But he, he said, Theophilus, I've researched this. I have gathered as many sources as I can. And I have, I have strived to write the most accurate account possible of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. The New Testament was written in such a way that the claims that were made about Jesus could be disproven if they were untrue. The Apostle Paul said about the resurrected Jesus in 1 Corinthians 15. You don't believe me? There are 500 people who saw him at one time. He appeared to the women. He appeared to Peter. Then the 12, the disciples. It was 11 by that time. But, and then 500 people at once. And most of them alive. You don't believe me? Go check it out with him. Not only that... <clears throat> He was crucified before he was alive. He was buried by two Pharisees. Not two fishermen, two Pharisees. 
buried him. And then we all saw him alive. Well, Paul didn't say all of that, but it's all in the New Testament. He said most of that. Just threw in a few other things that are said in other places. On this Easter morning, we're going to read Luke 24, but we're going to begin with the first 12 verses. So, as is our custom, if you would, please stand as we read Luke 24, verses 1 through 12. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went, they did not find the body of our Lord Jesus, of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. As they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven, to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna, Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves. And he went home marveling at what had happened. Father, um, we marvel indeed at this wondrous mystery that we behold. I pray that your word would come alive in our hearts today. Help us to see the truth of the scriptures about Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you and be seated. You ever been slow to come to understand something or to believe it? Um, something that seems so clear after you finally get there. But you're, you know, it's just you can't get your head around it. People say, well, this is true, and you say, or this is that, and you're saying, oh, I'm just not so sure. Maybe it's days, maybe it's months, maybe it's years. And then all of a sudden, everything seems so clear. Uh, and you just wonder what it was that took you so long to get to that place. Well, even though we're talking about a weekend, even though we're only talking primarily today about one day, that's the feel you get from all the gospel accounts about Jesus' resurrection. The disciples were slow to believe that Jesus had risen from the dead, even though women from their company told them all about the encounter with the angel. Even though Peter and John also, John's gospel tells us, ran to the tomb and saw the empty tomb somewhere in the day we're told that Peter heard from Jesus or saw Jesus. But when Peter and John were there, they, they saw the empty tomb. They saw the grave cloths folded neatly together, sitting by themselves. And even though Jesus had told them directly, time and again, that he would be crucified and would rise from the dead on the third day, 
Still, they didn't believe it. Slow, slow, slow to believe. The gospel accounts of Jesus' resurrection, while differing slightly in detail about the events, carry the unmistakable ring of truth to what happened on that first Easter. The disciples don't look particularly good in these accounts, do they? I mean, don't you think if they were going to falsify an account, they would have made themselves look better? When you tell about something that you did or didn't do, how are you telling it? No, you're, you're saying, look, this, this, and this. And we're always, we tend to present the best side of ourselves. I mean, there are some of us, you know, that, uh, well, no, I was even worse than you think I was. But for the most part, we, we, wanna, we want people to believe the best about us. And so we, we tell a pretty good tale. Not here. Some of the guys who wrote it were indicting themselves, really. Furthermore, Mary Magdalene was the first person to see Jesus. And a woman's testimony just didn't carry the same weight as a man's in that day. Just didn't. Also, the differences in the gospel accounts bear the mark of different perspectives. Different people telling the same story, but they're remembering different parts of it. Different aspects. And so they tell a story that is complete in all of the gospels, but different ones. By the different writers. A contrived made up story would agree. The four writers or John who wrote much later would, would tend to say. Let me see what these other three guys said. And make sure I get my story just right. But they're all a little bit different. Based on what we know about the disciples. Do you think those guys could have pulled this off? You know to pull this off this story that. That they want the whole world to believe. And, and 2,000 years later, people would gather in churches everywhere to proclaim the risen Christ. I, I doubt it. By the end of Easter Sunday, Thomas was the only one still in the dark. But that wouldn't be for long. But, but let's go back to this beginning of Easter. You get the sense uh, uh, that, that many of the people who had followed Jesus closely throughout his ministry were gathered together. Uh, the, the number that, that Luke puts it in, in, in Acts when they were gathered together just before Pentecost was 120. Uh, somewhere along the line we get the idea that at least 70, 80 people followed Jesus most of where he went. We only hear about the disciples, but there was a pretty large crowd that was following him. And we see time and again, we've seen in the Gospel of Mark, people say, I want to go with you. And Jesus says, stay right where you are. You don't need to go with me. I need you here. So this large group of people has gathered not only to lament Jesus' death, but I'm certain to find courage and strength in one another because they were scared that their association with Jesus was going to cause them big trouble. But mostly, they were just sad. But they were sad together. Early in the morning, several women went to the tomb to give honor to Jesus' body. Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus had prepared his body on the Passover. Amazing that those two Pharisees would defile themselves in the way that they did. Joseph of Arimathea was called a secret disciple. Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. But after 
Hopes were dashed. And he was dead. Those two came and prepared the body of Jesus. These women went on Easter morning to give further honor to Jesus' body. They certainly didn't go expecting to find an empty tomb. And in fact, Jesus said when they got there and found an empty tomb, they were certain that someone had stole the body. The two angels rebuked them for not believing what Jesus told them about his resurrection. I don't you know how this rebuke, instead of making them ashamed, put hope in their hearts. There's a spark of hope now all of a sudden. Don't you remember what he told you? Don't you believe that? Is it true? Is it possibly true? Luke tells us that they remembered Jesus' words. And they ran back to tell the disciples what had happened. But the disciples didn't believe them. Uh, In fact, the English description of an idle tale that the disciples used to characterize the women's testimony is a, let's just say it's a polite translation. Uh, Crazy women would be closer to the actual response. Crazy women? What is wrong with you coming in here telling us that kind of stuff? But Peter was curious enough to get up and go. And John's gospel tells us that John went with him. They found the empty tomb. And somewhere along the way, Jesus appeared to Peter. Beginning in verse 13 of Luke 24, we begin to read the account of the resurrected Jesus with two of his disciples. Not of his disciples. Not two of the eleven, mind you. Not, not the big guns, so to speak. But just two disciples who had no doubt been with the big crowd most of these two or three years. And they were heading to their home in Emmaus. Disappointed. We know that one of the disciples was named Cleopas. While the other disciple remains unnamed. There's a strong possibility though that it was Cleopas' wife who was with him. If this is the Clopas of John, the Gospel of John then we know that his wife's name was Mary. We also know from John that they were uncle and aunt to Jesus, but they were still disciples, and they considered themselves disciples of Christ, not relatives of Jesus. As they traveled, they talked about the Passover crowds and all that they had seen at market. No. They talked about Jesus. And wouldn't you know it, Jesus began walking with them, and yet his identity was hidden from them. Why? We don't know yet in the story. I do know this. There have been times in your life when you've been walking through a great deal of pain, and Jesus was walking with you, but you had no idea. Jesus asked Cleopas and the other disciple what they were discussing. And they just stopped and stood there. What are you talking about? Just sad. And then Cleopas said, what are we talking about? What are we talking? What is everybody talking about? 
Are you the only one who is not talking about Jesus of Nazareth? Did you just get into town? Do you not know that we expected he was the one who would deliver us, who would deliver Israel, redeem us from the Romans, but our leaders, our leaders, for goodness sake. Even though we were certain he was the Messiah, our leaders handed him over to the Romans and made sure that the Romans crucified him. Let me tell you something that not everybody's talking about, though. Our group knows something that most people don't know. We had some women that came to our group. We were in the house. We were huddled together, scared and, and, and just so disappointed. And these women came and created these false hopes. They said that he is risen from the dead. They said the angels told them that Jesus was alive. And some of the men went down to check it out. But wouldn't you know it, they found an empty tomb. Of course they didn't see Jesus. Now let's stop for just a moment. Who expected Jesus to die? Almost nobody. But after he died, even less people, if there was anybody who really expected him to die, it would have been Mary of Bethany. We'll get to that. I keep saying that. We'll come to that in the story of Mark. Would have been her, but nobody expected Jesus to rise from the dead. We don't see that anywhere. In spite of all the times that Jesus had predicted it would go exactly like it did. And they thought he was crazy when he talked like that. The Jews are going to hand me over to the Romans to be crucified. That's what he had told them over and over. Nobody believed it. He also said, and on the third day I will rise again. Look, they were just thinking, this is the end of our dreams. This is the end of life. It's just nothing will ever be the same. And nobody believed it. And these two didn't believe it. And so Jesus delivers the second rebuke that we see in our text to these two disciples. The angels rebuke the women now. Jesus rebukes the disciples, all foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Do you remember the time in your life? Some of you cannot remember When you place your trust in Christ. Some of you say, I I can never remember a time that I didn't believe in Jesus. And earlier in my independent Baptist days, I might would have thought, oh, we got a problem here. I don't think that anymore at all. You may never remember a time. But I would guess almost everybody in here would remember a time when the word started opening up to you. It's kind of like it is for these guys, you know, there all of a sudden Jesus, Jesus starts pointing them to the back. To the Old Testament. And saying. From the prophets, from Moses and a little later in the text, when Jesus appears to the disciples, he includes the Psalms and and, and he was saying they were all pointing to me so. If we were to ask, is it the law or is it the prophets or is it the Psalms that point to Jesus? The answer would be, of course, yes. Just think of the sorrow 
the disciples might have avoided if they had only known and believed what the Scripture said about Jesus. If only I had been a disciple, if only if some of you had been a disciple, we would have gotten this, right? Uh, No. Look, when I find myself in a difficult place, and I don't find the kind of answers that I want in Scripture, it's not because they're not there. Either I don't know the Scripture or I don't believe it. And I cannot find comfort in something that I do not know. But when I believe, when I know and believe that Jesus was tempted and tested in every single way that I was, any conceivable way that could affect me, and when I know that he has conquered not only sin but also death, and I know that he is at the right hand of the Father praying for me, when I know this and when I believe it, I find comfort no matter what. No matter what I'm facing, Jesus can always say, been there, done that, except for the sin. Never sinned. He died, in fact, so that my sin would not condemn me. And now on this first Easter Sunday, the resurrected Christ stands before these two disciples, not two of the twelve, but two who were very precious to him. And he preached the Old Testament so that they would see him, so that they would see Jesus. Don't you wonder why Jesus was hidden from their eyes? I mean, we know there was a reason, but wouldn't it have just been easier for him to say, hey, it's me, I'm alive. And then they would have gone back to the disciples and they said, yeah, yeah, we had some women talking the same way. It's going around. You ought to get that checked out. Here's what Kent Hughes says about this encounter. Quote, as the incognito Christ was expounding the scriptures, the two had come to see the plausibility and indeed the necessity of the passion and resurrection. Now they began to understand why the tomb was empty. I think that they were divinely kept from recognizing Christ so that they would base their understanding of the resurrection squarely on the scripture and not on experience. This makes perfect sense. A privileged experience such as this, if not grounded in the word, runs the danger of becoming a privatized eccentric interpretation. Couple on the road, however, were in no such danger. Their belief in the resurrection rested on the scriptures before they saw Christ. Close quote. Kent Hughes makes an important point about our relationship with God. We know him because of what he has communicated to us in Scripture. When he says a privileged experience such as this, if not grounded in the word, runs the danger of becoming a privatized, eccentric interpretation. He's making an important distinction between a personal relationship with God and a private relationship with God. None of us gets a private relationship with God in which he tells us things that he has not told anyone else. Everything that he's going to tell 
people that we need to know about God has already been recorded in his book. Now, there's no question that we have to have a personal relationship with Jesus in order to be related to God. It's, and, and it's correct when we say this is about a personal relationship. It's not about religion. It's not about ritual. It's about being related to Jesus. But a personal relationship is not a private one. It's why we have to have at least a healthy suspicion about books and movies that describe encounters that people have with God that are not rooted in the Scripture. I mean, what did Jesus... And, and, and look, you see that everywhere today. And people get so excited. Oh, this is such a great thing about God. This is such a wonderful testimony. And some of it is. But a lot of it speaks about God in general ways and it focuses on things other than Jesus. Look, going through the book of Mark, are you not taken aback? Either this guy that's the focus of this book, Jesus, was who he said he was, or he was a megalomaniac of the first order. He said over and over, it is all about me. And he told those guys, how, how foolish, how slow you are to believe all that has been written about me. Prophets, law, psalms, go anywhere. It's about me. And you know what? Most of the stuff you see about God today, it ain't about Jesus. It's about something else. What did Jesus teach these disciples on the road that day? He taught them the gospel. What is so often missing when people speak today about a private encounter with God? The gospel. There may be scriptures. They may just mention Jesus in passing. But is the gospel of Jesus Christ the main focus? What is the gospel? We've already said it today in in our responsive reading from 1 Corinthians 15. Paul said that Jesus died for our sins in, in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried and raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And he was seen of Peter, then the twelve, and the more than 500 brothers at one time. Now, Paul also made it clear that Jesus was seen to or seen by believers. And Peter makes the same point when he's sharing the gospel to Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. And he says, he was seen, the risen Christ was seen, not to everyone, but to believers. And while the gospel is preached to everyone and the scriptures are available to everyone, ultimately God's word and the gospel are ultimately for those who believe. As Jesus explained the scripture to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, the gospel began to come into focus. It began to become clear. And with a little effort, they were able to persuade their guests to stay with them for that night. But as they sat down for the meal, and as Jesus broke the bread, their eyes were open, and they saw him. He vanished immediately, but, but they saw that it was Jesus. Now, why, how did they do that? Well, 
clearly God could have just enlightened their eyes, and very likely that happened. But I wonder, don't you wonder, if maybe when he broke the bread, they saw the scars? And all of a sudden, he was gone, and they didn't think about eating anymore. Now, look, there's so much here about the significance of sharing meals with the Savior. We see it over and over in Mark. He he feeds the 5,000. He feeds the 4,000. And then on the night before he was crucified, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body given for you. And he took the cup and he said, this cup is is the blood of my new covenant. And it's poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And, and these two disciples would have heard about that. And maybe all of those connections were made in their hearts and minds. And their eyes were open. And he vanished. But they were changed. And then they did a really ridiculously foolish thing. They walked, probably ran back to Palestine. Or back to Jerusalem. It just wasn't smart to do this at night in Palestine in that day. Too many robbers. Too many chances for you to be hurt. But their hearts burned within them. They they didn't have a choice. They had seen Jesus first in the scriptures. And then in the flesh. And they ran to tell the others. Isn't it interesting that Cleopas and his companions saw Jesus before the 11, except for, except for Peter. I mean, who were they in the big scheme of things? Look, I mean, Peter, James, and John. I mean, those were the big three. And then the others, you know, had a little bit of a lesser position. And then, you know, you kept going back. I don't know. These guys may have been way back in the, in, in the line when, they, when Jesus walked through Galilee and toward Jerusalem. But they saw... Jesus, early. Look, you may not think you're all that important. But if you're related to Jesus, you have an intimate, personal relationship with him. Not a private one, but a personal relationship. And he loves you. You are greatly valued by Jesus. And you're privileged to share the gospel with others. In Luke 24, there are three different events that are described we've gone through the first two but there's a pattern that 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 emerges in all three uh, events and encounters that people had either with the angels or with Jesus and um, this pattern is distinct not only here but it seems to be so in all of our lives if you think about it first there is confusion then there's rebuke and instruction and witness. It might be if you just want to jot these down and go back and, and look at it. And then make application in your own heart and mind. Does this pattern look familiar to you? It is to me in my life. Let's look at this last account of Jesus. And see how this pattern is played out once again. We'll make brief application and then close. Starting in verse 36. 
Now we're back in the room where the disciples are gathered. It's not just the 11. Who knows how many? The women are with them. It could be upwards of 100 people there, 100, closer, closer to 120 maybe even. And as they were talking about these things, the things that they had been told by Cleopas and his companion, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. Just, he appears just in the middle. Has that ever happened to you? And it's, it looks like disaster, and all of a sudden you get this peace that you can make no sense of it at all in your life. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit, serious confusion. I mean, in spite of all the testimony, all that they had heard that day about Jesus being alive, they, 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 they thought it was a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? There's that rebuke. See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? It's too good to be true. We can't. It can't be possible. It's too good to be true. They gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and ate before them. In other words. This ain't no ghost that's standing before you. I mean can you imagine Casper trying to eat that fish? You know it's just not happening. Then he said to them. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me and the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Isn't that a great prayer? Before you go to the word, just sit down and say, Lord, open my mind to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day Rise from the dead. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. That's some pretty good instruction. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. The coming of the Holy Spirit. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, blessing God, giving witness to the truth of the resurrected Jesus. Jesus lives. He lives today. If you don't know him personally, would you acknowledge your sin or repent of your sin? Would you say, God, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner and I'm so sorry for my sins. And would you place your trust in Jesus Christ? In just a moment, the the worship band is going to come and we're going to sing that beautiful song, Behold the Wondrous Mystery of God. 
Behold the wondrous mystery. Again, and, and, and we're not going to have a formal invitation where you would come forward, but in your heart as we sing, would you just say, Lord, I'm a sinner. Help me, Jesus. Save me, Jesus. I believe you died for me. And in an instant, you become a child of God. As a believer, your hope must continue to be in the gospel. It struck me again, afresh, as I was preparing for this message, that the gospel is ultimately for those who believe. And we need to preach the gospel to one another. That's why we get this cycle over and over. Confusion, rebuke, instruction, witness. And if you have allowed yourself to slide away from the one who died for you and rose again on the third day. And if there seems to be a a great deal of confusion in your life. Allow his gentle rebuke to bring you back into the fold. And let his instruction thrill your heart to the point that you can't help but share this good news with others. He is risen. Live like it. Let's pray. I I kept thinking yesterday about what a dark day it was for the disciples that Saturday, that Sabbath day before Easter. Before Jesus again burst into their hearts and minds, fully alive, having paid the penalty for sin. Maybe... You're here today and your life is in a dark place. And you feel like the disciples. Only last week, your life couldn't have been any better just like the disciples. It was so good, you just knew that the culmination of everything good in your life was about to present itself in your eyes. But now, all hope has been dashed with Jesus in the grave. But there is hope, according to the scriptures. If you're in a dark place, you probably feel like it just won't ever be any different. No matter what happens, life will never be the same again. But Jesus delights in redeeming those in the darkest of places. So would you just give your heart over and trust to Him? Lord, It's a day of celebration and yet our hearts are sobered by the fact that Jesus had to be so separated from goodness and from you that he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was our sin that was upon him. As he hung with your wrath, Father, being poured out on him and you did that because you love me. You loved us. In the resurrection, you said, I accept. And you are well pleased with your son. And all who believe in Jesus are in him and he in them. And when you look at us, you are well pleased because of Jesus. 
How could it be? We don't understand. But we give thanks. In the strong and mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Of God for the people of God. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good so that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. He is risen.